Thank you for helping with that. I appreciate that. It's always interesting to have some folks who say hi to three people and they're done, and then some people say hi to the same three people, but they're never done, which is really good, and I would encourage that kind of thing, and that's why we have a long gap after this service before we start again so you can visit and catch up with folks. Well, if you're, if you're just walking in today, we are continuing what we're calling the greatest story. It is an overview of the entire Bible that's broken into three acts. And the first act begins basically in Genesis 12 when God says, I'm going to make a great nation, Abraham, out of you and your people. And we're tracing that through right now. And so this is kind of where we are. If we could have the first chart up here. Do we, do we, we're working on it. Okay, well then I'll walk you through that. If you remember, we had Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then the nation of Israel, God began to grow them. He gave them people, he gave them a leader, he gave them a culture, he gave them the law, he gave them a land, and finally then he began to prosper. And then under David and Solomon, under David and Solomon, we have the apex of the nation of Israel. And it was a great time of peace and prosperity. Yeah, it looks kind of like that. Um, a great time of peace and prosperity. And it's a little, um, just a snapshot of what's going to happen in the end time when God makes everything right again. Uh, so this was kind of where we are in the, in the timeline that we're tracking. And if you don't have one of the booklets uh, that have the whole chart on there of Act chapter one, Act One. Then I encourage you to pick one up. Um, back there should be some back in the Welcome Center. We're kind of not tracking. We're not moving on the timeline anymore. And this is the second part of what I started last week: the five books of poetry. Remember, we've had the promise, we've had the law, we've had historical narrative stories all through the Old Testament, and now we get to five books of literature in, in the Old Testament that we call the books of poetry. And those are Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Five books of poetry that are given to us. Now, lest we think that somehow poetry is frivolous, uh, maybe some of you have the same mentality that you have in your high school literature class. I tend to think of poetry as pretty frivolous at that point in time. I, I want to dispel that because actually when you look at the number of pages uh, that are given, there are more pages given to poetry than there were given to the Old Testament law. And we know how important that was at that point in time. So poetry and this kind of writing is really important. Why do we need it? What is it? Well, I think poetry, these books of poetry, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, these are real life stories of how God's wonderful plan intersects with real life human beings. And so when you have that, you saw, we saw that last week in Job, we're going to see that and review that in just a moment, but these things deal with the attitudes, the emotions, what we would call, biblically speaking, the heart of people, the inner self. And each of these books is, is dealing with God's desire for us in our deepest part of our being, our heart, for us to interact with Him and connect with Him. 
Last week we talked about Job and Psalms, and so I just want to talk about that and review just a tad because there's a couple other thoughts I had. Uh, the book of Job is a very long book, 42 chapters, and it deals with the whole issue um, of suffering. Why do people suffer, and why do even people who are apparently trying to follow God, why do those people suffer? Is God still good? And, and this is what we started in the beginning, will will a man still follow God even if God doesn't bribe him with blessings? And we get to the end of the book, and, and this book is, is, the, is the ABCs of spiritual growth. The ABCs, adversity builds character. I believe that. Adversity builds character in ways that nothing else will. I don't even know that you can develop deep and lasting character in your life without adversity. If nobody's told you that, sorry to break the bad news to you. That's kind of the way it works. We get to the end of his life, and my favorite verse, Job 42, 5, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. That's what I'm talking about. There's some depth in his life that he never knew till he went through all of the pain. Chapter 42, I didn't really unwrap it last week, but it's an interesting chapter. It says that, that God was angry with Job's friends who kept saying, Job, you've sinned. Confess your sins, and all these things will go away. God was angry with the friends, and he told them to bring a burnt offering and, and to ask Job to pray for them. Now, this is interesting. Job, Job had to pray for these friends who maligned him who were critical and negative and called him a sinner, basically. He had to pray for them. So there's something going on in Job's heart, too. Job's having to forgive them. Job's having to let go of this. God is still working. He's working in his friends, opened their eyes, but he's also still working in Job's life. And after he prayed for his friends... God gave him twice as much material prosperity and gave him seven more sons and three more daughters, which means he doubled the amount of children he had, and he lived a long and full life and lived to see his children to the fourth generation. Now, don't take that and use that as a template for every time that you obey God and you go through something hard and you stay faithful to God. Let me say this. It always pays off to follow God. It may not always pay off in these kinds of ways and in this life. It may be yet in the life to come that God is going to reward us. The book of Psalms, we talked about this last week, and we talked about how that is good. If you, if you track through the book of the Psalms, so many have this pattern of where there's a real life that's good, there's some stress, and then they come out the other side even better of, uh, I think one of the writers, Walter Brueggemann, was the first one that kind of said this. He talked about there's orientation, where all is well, all is good, things are rocking along. There's disorientation, where there's some type of crisis, is a tragedy, an illness, a sin, a change, a death, relational difficulties, financial difficulties, whatever it is, which causes this downward spiral and starts all of this emotional upheaval inside of us. Things like anger and self-pity and hopelessness and doubts and fears all these things go on inside of us and then we come out the other side where God either delivers us from that or else he meets us in that and the movement happens on the inside of us 
Sometimes God's answer is not to change the circumstances. God's answer is to change you. Which brings us to a better place. Um, you, you know that disorientation. I couldn't help but think about that this morning when I was watching that Embrace Grace video and the, the, the woman that felt like she was in the water and she was drowning. That's what that disorientation that I was talking about, that's what it feels like sometimes. So I put something in the bulletin today. I hope you didn't throw it away. Um, an insert in the bulletin today, encouraging Bible verses from the book of Psalms. Just, just, uh, just a little stuff that I ran across and then I added to it some. Um, some, ideas, some verses for comfort, for hope, for depression, for fear, forgiveness. Take that and you might just stick that in your Bible. You might find it helpful. Enough review. Today we're talking about Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon. In Proverbs we see God dealing with our heart and trying to do two things. So Proverbs again is dealing with the heart because God does that. And what we have in the book of Proverbs is, is, is two themes. We have the theme of the fear of God and wise living. The fear of God and wise living. Because I believe that the key verse in the chapter is Proverbs 1-7, which says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. I'm going to have a lot of verses. If you want to just write down the reference, you may not be able to write down all the verses. The, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And the fear, the fear of God is where skillful, wise living is based. And, and, and I believe that when we live in a right orientation toward God, which is a, lot, a life that honors Him and fears Him and loves Him, all of that's woven together, then it's all these cascading levels that come down. Uh, when I was out at Yellowstone, I saw the, 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 mammoth, the mammoth cave uh, cavern or whatever they call it, mammoth something, and it's one of these, it's one of these uh, hot springs that bubbles over, and it keeps bubbling over, but it has all these minerals in it, and it's cascading down, and it's growing by an inch or two every year. It's just building up. It just cascades down and builds up, and when we honor God, that bubbles over, and that cascades out of our lives, and it builds us into wise people people of godly character. Now, let me put it on pause for just a minute. I, I want to talk to you about the Proverbs because there, there's a couple things you need to remember when you're meeting, reading the Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs are not... Proverbs are general truths, not guaranteed truths. They are probabilities, not guarantees. Like... Uh, like Proverbs 16, 7, where it says, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, let me just say this. I, I'm not ready to say that every time, every godly person never will have any enemies. They, they will never, ever. They, you know, when you're walking with the Lord, you, it reduces the chances of you having enemies. But I'm not ready to say that that's a guarantee that every time you're walking with God. In fact, I know a lot of godly people that walk with God, and they have people who hate them. So, the book of Proverbs is a difficult book because it, it, it's hard to outline because it just jumps around. 
you know, talk about finances in one verse, and then it talks about character in the next verse, and it talks about slothfulness in the next verse, and it talks about living a pure life and avoiding the strange woman in the next verse, and all of that, it just jumps around. But all of it taken as a total, if you read through the book of Proverbs, the idea is that when we walk with God and we walk in the fear of God and we honor God with our lives, the whole of our life, not just Sunday morning in church when we all look good and nobody looks like sinners, okay, because um, we all clean up pretty well and, and, and we have nice enough clothes and all of that. No, no, the whole of our life, the totality of our lives is when it is honoring to God, the cascading levels again, the holistic part is that God's at the center of our finances and at the center of our marriages, at the center of our sexual life, they're at the inner, uh, all of our personal relationships with other people. He's at the center of it all. So, uh, again, but now let me just say this about Proverbs while we're here. This is, this is really for the person who knows God. And, 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 and let me just say this, I don't know where you are on your journey. I, I don't know if you're just beginning to seek God or kind of God aware or whatever I don't know where you are but if you've never surrendered your life to Christ if you've never really understood what we sung about today before uh, communion that it's the death of Christ that sets you free and it's when you put your faith your trust in him that you are set free if you've never reached that point then that's the best news you're that's forget everything else I've said today that's the most important thing I've said today God longs to adopt you into his family and for you to have an abundant life now Proverbs for the person who is seeking God weaves all this together and gives us so many principles for how to live life again it's, it's rooted in the fear of God and this is woven all through the book it says this in Proverbs 2 4 and 5 and if you look for it as silver and gold and search for it as wisdom, hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Chapter 8, verse 13. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And there's other verses as well. So some of you may be sitting there and saying, well, wait a minute, I thought God is love. What is this? Fear God, and what is this that God is love? How, do, how does that fit together? I thought God was love and peace and joy and hugs and kisses and chocolates. Yes, He is. He is. But He's also holy and just and pure and perfect. I, I guess the best way I can think of it is if you had a really good parent, and, and not all of you did, some, some of us had good parents, some of us didn't have good parents, but you loved your parents and you knew that your parents loved you, but you also had a sense of fear of them because you knew if you did something wrong, if you did something wrong, you would get disciplined. That's the way it was in my house. I'm, I'm just saying that. So in that sense, I had that kind of fear of my father. I knew he loved me, and I loved him. But I did not, I did not want to displease him or to upset him or for him to be angry with me. 
because of something that I had done. And we fear God that same way. We, 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 we don't want the discipline that always comes from a good father. And the word, you know, the fear of God has the idea of respect and honor woven into it. But there's, there's fear. We can't take the fearing God out of it. There's a part of that kind of, he's perfect and holy and just, and I'm not. You know, it's, 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 it's Isaiah, who am I to stand in the presence of the Lord? I'm a man of unclean lips. The second part is this life of wisdom, and that, this recurs all through there. And I, I you know, the, again, you can't, you can't outline the book of Proverbs, or at least I don't know how, and I've never seen anybody else do it well. But, you know, it deals with all of our sins, and we might just think about the seven deadly sins, pride and envy and anger and sloth and greed and lust and gluttony. That's a good list to start with, you know. You, you work on those seven, you'll be busy the rest of your life. I found that I am uh, to work on that. And so we see this book dealing with this. So anyway, pick out your favorite verses. I'm going to share a few of mine just because I can. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways. Submit to him and he will make your path straight. This is a, if you don't have a life verse, you could do a lot worse than choosing this one as your life verse. It will, it will, it, it's a great one. What else do we have? Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Proverbs 15, 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. There's another proverb that says, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. And, and there's, a lot of, there's a lot in the Proverbs about our words, the words that we speak. And so I think, you know, do we, do we speak words of help and healing and wholeness? Or do we tear people down with our words? Enough on Proverbs. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon. It's just 12 chapters. It's a very interesting book because it was written by the man who had everything... And literally found out that everything was not everything. Um, the phrase that's woven through the book is under the sun, which is saying from, a, from, from an earthly perspective, from a human, horizontal viewpoint, he had everything. And he found out to have everything without God is empty. 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 That's a theme that runs through there. And so the, the way the book is, 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 is negative, it describes a, a, the life that leaves God out. And, and he chronicles in the first part of the book of how he, he, he tried this, this hedonistic lifestyle and, and pleasure at all costs. He could do it all. He, money was no object for him. He could have whatever he wanted. He tried laughter. He tried alcohol. He tried sex. He tried entertainment, huge building projects, art collections, fun trips, serious work. He even joined the choir. He tried singing. Singing. Interesting. I don't know that I put that on my list of things that's going to bring me pleasure. Although I like to sing, but anyway. Augustine found this to be true uh, almost 2,000 years ago, and he said it this way, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they... Find their rest in you. 
Solomon said it this way in Ecclesiastes 2. Yet when I surveyed all that my heads had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. So we come to chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes and it says this, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. And then he goes on to recount what happens as we all age. Our, our vision fails, our hearing fails, we lose our teeth, we can't sleep at night, irrational fears, shaking, limping. Oh boy, sounds like something we're all really looking forward to. The conclusion of the matter. What does he say in verses 13 and 14? Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. I've been carrying a quote around from James Dobson with me for probably 30 years now. It goes like this. When I reach the end of my days, I must look backward on something more meaningful than the pursuit of houses and land and machines and stocks and bonds nor is fame of any lasting benefit. I will consider my earthly existence to have been wasted unless I can recall a loving family, a consistent investment in the lives of people, and an earnest attempt to serve the God who made me. Nothing else makes much sense. What do you want to get to the end of your life and look back at what do you want to see when you look back at your life is, is it is it gonna be stuff is it gonna be a lot of money in the in the bank is it you know is it gonna be your your name on a building an extra long obituary when you leave this world because let me just say this, and, and I see it time and time again. Whatever you will look back at is going to be a series of daily small choices that you make. Every day. Those are going to determine the kind of things that you look back at when you get to the season of life where you look back and you think about what your life really was. Okay, enough about that. Let's move to Song of Solomon. I was talking about Song of Solomon to somebody on the staff the other day, and they said, I think you're blushing. And um, if you've read in the Song of Solomon, it's a, it's a very intimate expression of true marital love written by Solomon. Describes courtship, the wedding, honeymoon, and marriage of a man and woman. My favorite verse is Song of Solomon 4.2. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep coming just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each one has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Just teasing. Just teasing. Um... He's found, this, he's found this hot woman, and she has all of her teeth. It's great. <laughs> it's great. That's, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. 
just just in general looking at the book um, without getting into the blushing part um, God intends that marital love be romantic sexual and passionate God intends that marriage be enjoyable sometimes I've run into people that are married and it doesn't look like they're enjoying it very much God intends that marriage be good and enjoyable and if you need to fix something to get back to where there's joy in your marriage, then you need to do that. The second thing is God intends for marriage to be filled with kindness and compassion and mercy when things become difficult in your life, and they will become difficult. Enough of that. We wrap up the books of poetry. I have five conclusions with you, for you. Fear God. Obey His commands. Seek Wisdom, try to, wisdom is, is seeing, God, seeing life from God's point of view. From Ecclesiastes, don't let this world under the sun steal your heart. And number five, love your spouse well, if you have a spouse. And if you don't have a spouse, one day you may have a spouse. And you need to love your spouse well. Uh, it makes all the difference in your life. And remember what Dobson said, if I can't look back, one of the things I need to be, look back over is a loving family. Uh, I just want to say that we're relational people and our family is huge. Okay, that's all I have. Uh, let's stand for the closing prayer. If, if you have questions about your journey with Christ, following him, what's next for you, what you need to do, I'd love to chat with you about that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these real-life um, teachings that we have from Job and Psalm and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon that you have given to us so that we can see how we can keep you in the equation of our life day in and day out. May we seek you and follow you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.